What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Justin Editor Podcast. My name is Corey Cudney, and I am just an editor. But today I have with me somebody whose credits are frankly amazing. They have some of the best things you've ever seen in your life. He's worked on movies like iRobot, Public Enemies, Captain America, the entire trilogy, First Avenger, Winter Soldier, Civil War, Iron Man 3, and the entirety of the Avengers quadrilogy. Our guest today is Mr. Jeff Ford. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good, man. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, sure. It's my pleasure. I'm an, it's, on, it's an honor to be on. Yeah. So I'm going to start with kind of a an obvious question, but when did it sink in or has it sunk in yet that you worked on the highest grossing movie of all time? <laughs> well, um, you know, it, it, it sort of hasn't sunk in because... <laughs> I really don't. Uh, it's it's still kind of it feels a little bit like I woke up from a dream. Um, the whole end game summer has been so crazy, and the success has been just so overwhelming. And I mm-hmm. and all I can say is I'm just so grateful that uh, the fans embraced the movie the way they did. And and I have two boys, nine and eleven, and they both loved it. And that's the uh, those were the reviews I was sweating the most. So <laughs> the fact that the fact that everybody you know ended up feeling really good about the movie, or at least most people did. Um, that was, that was sort of the thing I was most relieved about. And then of course the, the crazy financials on it are, are just too, too good to believe in terms of, you know, it's, it's crazy to be in that stratosphere with, um, you know, with, with people like, you know, James Cameron and Mm. Steven Spielberg and, and, um, it's just, it's nuts. Oh my gosh. Well, did they get to see like a, like a preview an early preview of it or did they have to see it with everybody else? Oh, my kids know, you know, I, I offered a couple of times, to, you know, they, they, they always come to visit me at work and mm-hmm. they've come to a lot of the other films and they've hung out during the mix and stuff like that. But this one was one where they didn't want to see anything. They didn't, oh, wow. they actually did not want any spoilers. They wanted to experience it, you know, <laughs> when it came out in the theater and they, they came to the premiere with me, they were my guests at the premiere. So that was, that was a, a really fun night to let them to finally see it with everybody. And that was the first time we'd ever shown the movie publicly oh my gosh. Um, ever. So it was the first time the movie had been seen by an audience other than our, our, some of our test audiences. But those are those are very small. This was this was a massive uh, audience at uh, the L.A. Convention Center. And it was it was a great night. Man, that's how you know you've done good in a part two of a movie when your own kids are like, no, we're going to wait. I don't want any spoilers. <laughs> you know, a lot of people were that way. I mean, in fact, the movie sort of protected itself in that about a day or well, sorry, about three, four days before the release or maybe it was before the premiere i can't remember there was a leak mm-hmm. of some uh, pretty much all a lot of big spoilers from the end of the movie and uh, it was a it was a, a screening that took place uh in a foreign market it was a subtitled version of the movie and oh, wow. somebody filmed it with their phone and dropped it and it was all over youtube and replicating like within within minutes and um Jeez. The fans basically just said, we're not going to watch it. And everybody just took to the internet and said, it's out there. Don't look, don't look. And uh, we got, you know, people don't, don't, they don't want it spoiled. I think that's, that's the, uh, that's the lesson. Yeah. So, you know, we're going to come back to this a little bit later, but for now I want to go all the way back because some of the best parts of these episodes so far that I've heard is the beginnings. So I wanted to ask you, you know, when did you kind of know that editing was what you wanted to do and how did that process get started for you personally? Well, I've been making films since I was in fourth grade. And uh, in fact, the movies that I made when I was in fourth grade, I made a bunch of uh, films with my friends uh, and we, our favorite series was spider-man so we had my mom made us a spider-man costume and we shot 
a whole series of Spider-Man movies on Super 8 film. Oh my gosh. And edited and this would have been like in 1977 in uh in nice. uh, just outside of Portland, Oregon where I grew up and and we we made those movies so it was weird cuz I feel like I'm doing the same thing that I was doing in 4th grade. <laughs> it's just that I get Tom Holland now instead of my friend who was in this it was not as good as Tom Holland. And so it was um it was something that I always wanted to do. And then as I went, you know, I got into high school, I started thinking I was really interested in being a journalist and, and I studied journalism and was thinking about very seriously about becoming a, a, a reporter. And, um, I think the movie thing was always in the back of my mind and as it got closer to graduation and I had to make a decision about where I was going to go. Um, I finally just decided I was going to go with my dream and, and, and was going to go to film school. And I, thought, you know, the, I'm going to go for the best film school in the world. And oh, wow. which in my mind at the time was USC. Cause I mm-hmm. was a big George Lucas fan and, yeah. and, 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 you know, a lot of the other people that Zemeckis and all the people who graduated from the school had made films that inspired me. So I decided I was going to go for it. And, um, I knew it was a hard place to get into, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I didn't have enough me um, really money to get through it. Um, nor did my family. So <laughs> It was a leap of faith, and I, you know, I, I applied. I got in as an undergrad, not into the film school, but into the to the regular program at SC. And then okay. I moved down to LA in 1986, and it took me about four applications. And eventually, I did get into to the film school, and I met uh, an amazing group of artists and filmmakers there, um, who would end up becoming collaborators of mine over the years. And it was an incredible group of people, an incredible time, and and. Uh, really exciting creative period. And I really fell in love with editing during that time. And while I was there, I met a filmmaker named James Gray, who is, uh, became one of my best friends. And we really respected each other and liked each other's taste. And uh, when we got out of school, we were all struggling, trying to make films, trying to get into the business, however we could. And he was the first of us who was lucky enough to, to get a project together. And he made a film in New York called Little Odessa in 1994 okay. with Tim Roth and Moira Kelly and Vanessa Redgrave and Maximilian Schell and Edward Furlong. And it was a a really low-budget independent film. <laughs> uh, I think we shot for 20, 20 or 21 days, mm-hmm. and that was it. And I came on that movie as an assistant editor because it was the only job I could, I could get mm-hmm. to work with him. And um, it was just so exciting to actually be on the set of a real movie with a real cast and incredible actors like Tim Roth and he had written a beautiful script and, 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 you know, he, he's, um, he's gone on to become a really, you know, incredible filmmaker. He's made some really interesting films. His latest is called Ad Astra. It's coming out soon with Brad Pitt. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. James is a great filmmaker and he gave me a chance to, you know, we were friends and he said, Hey, come on, let's, let's, let's do this together. And I ended up, um, working with him on Little Odessa and that got me enough credit to get into the editing union. Oh, cool. And so once I was in the union, I, um, basically just needed a job. And, um, another good friend of mine from film school, Tia Nolan, who's actually worked with me on Endgame, She, uh, hired me on a, a independent film called things to do in Denver when you're dead, which was a Miramax movie that she was working on and they needed an apprentice. And that was my first union gig. And that was a great moment for me. Cause I ended up getting on a crew with, uh, Richard Marks, who is one of my heroes in editing. He, uh, was a supervising film editor on Apocalypse Now. He also worked on The Godfather Part Two. Oh my god! Uh, he edited Dick Tracy, Terms of Endearment. So I got to end up on a crew and apprentice and be an apprentice to one of the great editors of all time. And uh, that's really what that's really what kind of pushed me forward and really showed me, you know, the craft, the artistry, everything that's involved. So he was really a, an incredible person to learn from. 
And, uh, and I was on his crew for, for, you know, four or five movies with him and it was pretty, pretty intense and pretty amazing. Oh, wow. Nice. So once you got on the, on the union, was it a little bit easier to find the projects? Do they kind of do most of the heavy lifting for you? No, not at all. In fact, oh. I got on Richie's crew and Richie, Richie works a lot cause he was one of the, you know, he, he, he actually passed away last year, but mm. he, um, when he was working, uh, before he retired, he was, you know, one of these guys who was just working constantly because he was so sought after because he was so good. So we ended up doing a bunch of movies together. And the last one we did was, and I wouldn't have been able to work as much if I hadn't have been on that crew because you, it's very hard to find a job, but once you lock in with a group of people, if they like you and, and if, and you're, if you're with a group of people who work a lot or an editor who works a lot, people tend to stick together as a team. And I'll, and I'll talk a little bit more about that when we talk about, uh, my work at Marvel, but, but we really, um, Richie's crew was a really, you know, good group of tight, tight knit group of people. We ended up doing a few pictures together. And then the last one I did with him was, I was, I was the first assistant editor on a a film called as good as it gets with Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt, uh, which was directed by Jim Brooks. And, um, that was a crazy, insane shoot. And the movie turned out to be, you know, a really special film. It got a lot of, you know, Oscar attention and it was well-reviewed and, and, um, it's gone on to be a, a favorite of a lot of people. So it was a really exciting uh, project for me, but that was my last movie as an assistant. Then when I finished that film, I was kind of, I was kind of burned out and uh, you know, those movies can be difficult and being an assistant is hard work as hard as anything. And I was ready to start editing on my own, but I didn't have a job. I was unemployed. And, um, and James Gray, who I had worked with years before on Little Odessa and had gone to film school with, he called me up and said, Hey, I'm making another movie. We should, we should work together. Can you work on it? And, and, and I said, I would love to cut it, but I don't know if you can sell me to the studio. But somehow he was able to get me on the picture. And I ended up, that was my first editing credit was a movie called The Yards with um, Mark Wahlberg, Joaquin Phoenix, Charlize Theron, James Caan, uh, Ellen Burstyn, and Faye Dunaway. Uh, it was a great script written by James and Matt Reeves. And uh, it was a, a great sort of uh, thriller about corruption in the New York City subway system. Um, and we... Yeah, we shot it all in New York City. It was a total blast. One of the most exciting experiences creatively I've ever had. And we shot that 98, 99, and it was in competition in Cannes in 2000 for the Palme d'Or. Uh, it was a, a selection, official selection and competition for the festival. So, and that was one of the most amazing experiences I've ever had was taking a film to Cannes and, and you know, screening it in the Palais and, and, and for, the, for the festival. So it was an amazing first credit. I was like completely lucky. Um, and I owe everything to James. He really gave me my career, both with his initial, you know, uh, initially getting me onto my, my first film as an apprentice editor and then giving me my, my, my first shot as an editor. And then, um, from there, it's just been sort of like just good fortune and, and good introductions and meeting great directors and reading scripts that I liked and sort of following whatever I thought would, was interesting that I wanted to cut. I mean, it was really hard for me to turn down anything cause you know, it's always hard when you're starting out to, to find a job, let alone a good one. And I got very lucky. I had a string of, of really strong films, uh, after working with James and I, you know, I, I've really been blessed with the directors I've, I've had a chance to work with. Nice. So you were talking earlier about being able to stick with kind of the same team and stuff, uh, going after the yards, is that kind of, you stuck with the same group or did it kind of vary per project? Well, well, initially, um, after working on the yards, um, my, my team, 
varied a little bit, but we tried to work mm-hmm. together. You know, we always tried to keep people together. People, you know, move on and become editors in their own right, or they, or they, um, or they go off in different directions. But um, I've also been really lucky to have a really great string of of assistant editors. Um, Justine Halliday was my assistant on the yards. And then I worked with a guy named Danny Rafik, who I'd worked with years later again on the Avengers. He was my first for the for the end of of, of the shoot on the yards. Then um, I worked with a fellow by the name of Craig Tanner, who now works at Marvel and worked on Avatar oh, wow. and uh, became one of the lead VFX editors in the industry. He's amazing. Um, great guy. He was my first for a while. And then I worked with uh, a guy named Kieran Palagata, who James Gray introduced me to. He'd worked with James on a couple of pictures. Kieran worked with me on a few pictures, including – uh, the Michael Mann movie, which is a certain, which is a test of wills for any assistant. And then he went on, uh, with me to Avengers and then, and then went off to edit on his own. And then I, uh, my first became Matt Schmidt, who eventually became my co-editor at Marvel. So I've had these incredible <laughs> assistants who, who have been amazing and really good editors in their own right. And I'm, I'm really proud that a lot of them have gone on to become editors and, and they're really good editors too. So that's, that's a really big, big, uh, it's important to me to see, people that work for me move on and become editors on their own. I don't want them to stay with me. I want them to, you know, to move on and become, uh, and become amazing editors. Yeah, no, totally. Um, just like you were saying, I mean, like building each other up and stuff like that is, is definitely important, uh, in the industry from, from what I've seen in, in the little bit that I've been in it and everything <laughs> going to, uh, Captain America first MCU movie, um, in there, did it, how did you kind of get into the MCU from these movies like The Public Enemies and, and the Monte Carlos and stuff like that? I had done a movie with Paul Rubel, who's a great editor. We had done a movie called Public Enemies together with Michael Mann. Um, and it was a really tough movie to do. Michael's a very demanding director and uh, he was a crazy, a crazy post. Um, I'm really proud of the movie, but it was a very difficult film to make. And, and, um, Paul was an incredible collaborator. I learned a lot from him and I really enjoyed working with him and we worked really well together and we get a really good, really good synergy, great style match between the two of us. And I, I was really uh, interested in working with him again mm-hmm. and he had signed up to do the first Thor film at Marvel. Oh, and, okay. uh, I had, um, I had other commitments and then I said, Hey, let's figure out how we can work together again. He said, well, I, he said, I'm really enjoying Thor and they're going to do a movie pretty soon called the Avengers. Would you like to, work on that with me. Maybe you should come in and meet them. And if they like you, maybe you can get the job as the second editor on that movie. And I was like, well, that'd be amazing. Um, and let's set up a meeting. And I went in, uh, it was towards the end of the year. And I went to meet with Victoria Alonzo, who, who is in charge of visual effects and post-production at Marvel at the time. And she, uh, I went in to meet with her sort of his general meeting to say, Hey, the, you know, I really like working with Paul. If you guys are looking for somebody, I'd love to be considered just a way to, you know, sort of a meet and greet. And, um, mm-hmm. she said, uh, well, you know, you're, we need a, we need an editor on Captain America, like right away. I mean, I thought you were coming in to meet on that movie and I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> no, I didn't know you were making that movie, but, um, what's, 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 what is that about? And she's like, well, the film just finished production. We're making a change in the editorial department and, and, uh, can you go meet the directories downstairs? I was like, oh my uh, gosh. okay. And so I went downstairs and I met Joe Johnston, who, you know, was sort of a, a hero of mine for having, you know, designed most of the Star Wars, the first Star Wars movie and the second, I mean, the guy is, yeah. you know, he was involved at the sort of the beginning of visual effects, modern visual effects as we know it. He's an incredible director, amazing, amazing artist, conceptual artist, and just a great filmmaker. 
I was, I didn't know I was going to get to meet this guy, let alone be interviewing for a job. <laughs> and we, we, we had a great meeting and, um, and, uh, he, uh, you know, basically I got the job on the spot and I started the following week and it was oh pretty amazing because I, I really didn't know I was, I mean, I, I had no idea that, that I was even going in for a, for a formal job interview and, uh, I, you know, the Avengers was still a few months away. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I took a look at the movie and it was, a um, you know, they had just finished production, uh, in England and moved the production back to the United States and we're getting ready to finish the movie. They, and this was in January and the movie was needed to be delivered in July. Uh, but the, the film was an incredibly difficult visual effects, uh, task is, as, as there were a number of scenes where we had to make, you know, Chris Evans look very skinny when he was skinny yeah. Steve. And that work had to be locked right away because it took so much, so many months of hand, you know, hand animating and painstaking, you know, reshaping of him. So mm-hmm. I was already under the gun the first day on the job. Um, <laughs> but it was an amazing experience. I had no, I'd never done a visual effects movie, a superhero movie, anything like that. So for me, it was a complete and total new world and, uh, a huge, uh, challenge, but it was so much fun. And I, um, you know, being a comic book nerd from when I was a kid and a big fan of Richard Donner's 1978 Superman movie, which I loved when I was, you know, eight years old, nine years old. I, um, I really, uh, it was really kind of exciting to finally be back in, you know, making, making a superhero movie after I hadn't done any since I was in fourth grade. Um, (laughs) but I had a great time and I loved Joe. I loved working with him and I, and I met Kevin Feige and Louis Desposito and, Victoria Alonso during that production and uh, fell in love with them as well. They were just great filmmakers, incredible people to work with. And we were all kind of kindred spirits, same sense of humor, same kind of approach to work and, and, and filmmaking. And so it ended up being just a great fit. And, um, they were really happy with the work that I did. And, uh, and they, and that led to an interview with Joss and a chance to work with Paul on, um, on the first Avengers movie. And then, Mm -hmm. um, um, Paul ended up leaving the first Avengers movie and I ended up taking, uh, taking the film over with Lisa Lassick and we finished it. So it was weird. I, I, you know, the whole thing sort of started from Captain America and, um, it's one of the things that I love about Endgame is that I feel like I, I stepped in at the beginning of Cap's story and I stepped off at the end of Cap's story. It was sort of, it was the perfect, uh, symmetry for the, for the story that I had been working on for the nine years that I was there. So, yeah. um, so it was really, it was really, uh, pretty amazing that that's how they, they ended up, you know, choosing to end the, 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 the story. So like you said earlier, being a comic book nerd, when you were, when you were editing Captain America, um, were you feeling that this was like going to be what it ended up being or were you like, ah, this is probably, you know, a, a couple movie gig, like this won't take off. I mean, we were firmly in phase one at that point, but you know, what were you thinking while you were putting that together? I, I actually think, you know, when we were making the film, it's, it's interesting. This is, this is pretty much the case of every movie that we made at Marvel, mm-hmm. or at least every movie that I made at Marvel. Um, when you're making the movie, you're not really thinking about the, the, the overall story structure of the series. I, I mean, each movie is its own challenge. And if you begin thinking about the series or the, or, or it's, or it's how it fits into the larger scheme of things, you're mm-hmm. pretty much guaranteed to make a lousy movie. I, I mean, there's just no way that works. 
So every film that we did was 100% about the film we were making. And that includes Endgame and Infinity War. I mean, really, I know those are so dependent on each other and the Avengers movie mm-hmm. have, have so much you know connectivity, but it really is. Even Civil War, that is a movie that had to stand on its own beginning, middle, and end as a movie. And yes, there's things in it that, that draw from other, uh, other parts of the, of the, of the series. And, and, uh, but, but, you know, in, in the, in the thick of it, you always think of the film and on the first cap movie, I just felt like this, you know, Evans did a performance that I hadn't seen that level of commitment to a character like that since Christopher Reeve. And I thought, oh, this guy's the next Christopher Reeve. He's really, he embodies the character. It's a hard character to play. And he's a guy who you know, is really a true believer. Um, and he nailed it. And the movie had such style being a period piece. Uh, it was just an exciting, you know, I loved the movie. I still Mm. love it. Uh, and I had no idea how it was going to do. And then I went to Albuquerque right after I finished it to go work on Avengers. And I went to the midnight show the night it opened in Albuquerque and, um, uh, people were going nuts. I mean, they were screaming and, (laughs) and applauding. And I was, that really is what put the hook in me to stay at Marvel. I think for as long as I did, because there is no better feeling than going to one of these movies when they open to the midnight show the night they open with all the fans. They're dressed up and they're they're ready to believe the movie and draw it into their hearts. So it's really, really a moving experience. I think you know that night seeing that first Captain America film and um, and uh, certainly Avengers one and and most of all going to the theater with. Uh, a bunch, a whole bunch of us went to see Endgame the night it opened um, in mm-hmm. Westwood in Los Angeles. Kevin and Alan Silvestri, the composer, the Russo brothers, and and I got to go along. And it was like we just sat in the back and listened to the audience. It was really one of the best experiences <laughs> ever. It was amazing. Oh my gosh! So editing uh, Avengers is a great example, but um, it it happens throughout even before that. Um, editing, uh, like you mentioned earlier, with Lisa Lassick. Editing with somebody versus a solo edit. Can you talk about that as far as, because all of my experience, purely solo edit. So I can't even think about, you know, merging uh, workflows and brainwaves and stuff with another person. Well, it's actually, um, it's a lot of fun. I highly recommend mm-hmm. doing it. It's it's actually really, really a, a fun way to do it. Okay. Yeah. And I, I like working with a collaborator in that sense, uh, especially on a movie that has so many moving parts and, and, and yeah. there's not a lot, enough time to do everything. But the one thing I will say is that on all the films that I've done, um, uh, you know, even as, as a team, there's a, there's a point at which the movie gets sort of, you know, we have to really think about making it one movie. And yeah, even though we talk about, you know, merging stylistics and I experienced this even back on public en- enemies with, with Paul Rebell, it's like, you know, Michael's Michael Mann's the kind of director who really is specific about the way he directs his editors, but mm. there's a unity to the vision because Michael is behind it. And, uh, with the Marvel movies, it's the same thing. You know, you have a Joss Whedon movie. It has a certain stylistic approach to it. Yeah. And, in Lisa's case, she had worked with Joss a lot before. I had never worked with him. So she provided a ton of valuable information about, you know, his stylistic. But as the movie got finished, I think we all, you know, were conscious of the fact that it needed to be sort of shaped and and turned into one thing. And there's a process that happens right before the movie's finished where that, you know, locks in and starts to happen. You have to be ready for it because it is it is important. It does. There is a, a a back and forth feel to these films for a while when they're cut by two different editors, and slowly they really? lock into place. Yeah, that's always a little bit the way it is. Any movie sort of is that way. Even even a movie cut by one editor, I think there's you know 
different problems with production, mm-hmm. you know, kind of poke out at different times. Like there was a day you didn't have everything you needed, or, you know, there's a scene that's not as good as it should be. There's a, a process that happens once you sort of solve the movie where you, where you really refine it and get all the bumps out of the road. And I think that's where we, we tend to unify them. And on the last two Avengers movies, you know, Matt Schmidt and I work really well together. He's a brilliant editor and we have a very similar style. And uh, the way we had to end up working on the last two movies, because we were both, you know, really overloaded with the amount of material that we had, uh, we would sort of, you know, at one point I had to finish Infinity War while Matt started working on a refined version of Endgame because we needed to prepare (laughs) that for additional photography. So in that case, we split up between movies and then I took over, uh, I came back onto Endgame um, and and took over the lead role again. But by that point, Matt had begun the assembly with the Russo. So we were able to divide and conquer. I mean, it's really a lot about trust and, and jumping around and being able to, everybody's got to play everybody's position. You know, you got to be able to go, okay, now you're a shortstop. Okay. Now you're first base. And you got to be able to jump into that at any moment. Yeah. I, so I actually took to Twitter and this is a perfect, uh, a perfect kind of segue into that. I took to Twitter to ask people, you know, what questions do you have for Jeff Ford? And I actually have one from uh, at Mr. Beardosaurus asks, what is the workflow for a project of this scale? How does the process change, if at all, from start to end of the edit? So does your workflow change from the beginning of, all right, we have all this footage to now we have the effects are coming in and the scores coming in and everything like that? Oh, well, that's an interesting question. There, the workflow isn't like that at all. It's, it's, there is simply material being generated and edited every day from the first day we begin wow. production. And it never mm. stops until the last day. So <laughs> we, from, you know, the very beginning of the process, we are putting the movie together and it, the movie is almost complete, uh, even before it's been shot because we have so much pre-visualization and that's all cut in, in the yeah. form of the movie. And we maintain that. And as the new material comes in, those scenes get cut, they get refined and they get cut into the movie and they get reshot and they get, then they get put into the movie and they get visual effects begin, you know, may begin work you know, as, as early as a, a month into production. And then those shots start rolling in over the course of the year of production. So everything's happening simultaneously, including rewriting the script, including actors changing uh, their approach, including us changing the, the style of a character or the way the character looks. Imagine a movie that's completely changing at all times up until about the last three weeks. So you're really talking <laughs> about an utterly dynamic system that is constantly being updated with new ideas. And we have to, cause we need every good idea, even if they come in late. Yeah. So a few things we have to finish early, you know, to get them done. Like, you know, we needed to finish, uh, the Hulk in, uh, infinity war, I'm sorry, in Endgame because he had a very specific performance thing we had to, to, to create, mm-hmm. uh, to follow what Mark had done so beautifully in mocap. So some of those shots in Thanos and, and so forth, those shots need to be finished early. So visual effects can work on them, but that doesn't mean the edit isn't changing. It doesn't mean I'm not altering them or, or changing the pattern or adjusting how the scene is cut. Everything's on the table all the time, including music, including sound effects. All those things are being generated, uh, kind of simultaneously as we as we see the need to improve the story. Wow. So uh, a few episodes back, um, I interviewed a man by the name of uh, Jim Eberly, who worked at uh, Technicolor for Iron Man 3. And so uh, for something like that, when they're generating footage for you, is that you just walk into work one day and all of a sudden, you know, you have a new batch of footage on the machine or how does that get delivered to you guys? 
Oh, well, basically the way it works, because we're, we have to maintain a pretty high level of security on these movies because everybody's looking yeah. to get a spoiler. So I have an incredible team of assistants. Um, uh, and my first assistant is this guy by the name of Robin Badai. He's amazing. And he's the guy that basically designs our workflow per show, depending on what the show's needs are. But I can give you an example mm-hmm. of how it worked on Infinity War and Endgame, which was a, as you know, they were shot together. So we were yeah. in production from almost all of 2017, uh, a little bit of 2018, and then we shot another month at the end of 2018. So mm-hmm. it was a, and and I think over, we, if you were to turn it into film footage the way we used to do it back in the old days, uh, it would amount to about five million three hundred thousand feet of film. So it's a it's <laughs> astonishing, astonishing number of um of 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 of, of feet to deal yeah. with. And the way that it works basically is that the production shoots. Uh, say they shoot Monday morning, they start at 6 a.m. and they begin shooting. Usually there's one uh, main unit and a second unit shooting. Sometimes there's up to four units shooting. There can be mm-hmm. up to five units shooting if there's multiple mocap units shooting. So I have material coming from main unit, second unit, which is mostly stunts. Uh, then mm-hmm. there is uh, usually a splinter unit, which is the work that main unit cannot complete. And they need another camera to go to another stage to continue work. Then there's also a mocap unit where they're shooting motion capture of Josh Brolin or, or Mark Ruffalo or whomever's doing motion capture. Those are dailies. Those units are all doing all, all working on Monday. So the, I'm getting four days for every day sometimes. Sure. And those go to my – so the footage will come in usually you know, around 11 o'clock at night. Uh, from the team, you know, 10 or 11 at night when everybody finishes that last thing that happens, they drop the footage off with, uh, uh, there's a, there's a, uh, uh, dailies colorist. So whomever's mm. doing our dailies, whether it be Technicolor or Pinewood or whomever, they will take that, the material from the cameras, they'll ingest it in a raw form. The dailies colorist will add a grade to it. Uh, uh, you know, uh, just a basic color grade that matches what the DP has set, the look he's set on on the set. Okay. And then that'll be applied and, and Avid Media will be generated. Overnight, while I'm sleeping, the Avid Media is generated and the uh, there's um, compressed media that's, that's put up on a server so that the directors and uh, the executives can view the dailies on their computers if they want to on a secure server. And then in the morning, the picture media and the, and uh, uh, and the sound media is delivered to the assistant editors, and they usually take. I have a team of about four people, and those four people take about four hours between the four of them to mm-hmm. complete uh, prepping those bins and, and moving that material to me. So it's a team effort that starts. It basically you know creates a twenty four hour cutting room where you know yeah. there's material coming to us overnight you know, those people put it together. Uh, and then, and there's a whole process where that material is backed up and it's, and, it, and the uncompressed files are prepared so that they can be used in the DI later. I added in a, a compressed version, um, on the Avid because we wouldn't be able to, you know, hold all that raw material with the, with the big files that are coming from the IMAX camera. So it's a really intense process that happens overnight. And then my assistants just do the, the preparation that I need, Matt and I need, um, then once it lands in my computer, I, you know, I watch dailies. Um, mm-hmm. They've already separated out the stuff I don't need to look at that doesn't contain, you know, usable material between slates and so forth, if there's something like that. So I have a, a reduced version so I don't have to look at everything that was yeah. rolling because sometimes they leave the camera going because it's easier. And then I sit in the theater and I watch it, you know, straight through and and uh, as much as I can, sometimes I have to zip ahead because it's, you know, work that might not require performance, you know, judgment if it's a plate or something like that. And then 
Uh, and then I sit down and I start editing it and I try to, you know, if they shoot something on Monday, I, my goal is to have it ready to show the directors by Wednesday, if I can, Wednesday evening. Wow. Okay. So you view all of it, you said in a theater. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Yeah. When we're on location, it's a little harder sometimes. And in case I will forego that, like when we were shooting in Edinburgh, Scotland, I didn't have a theater easily accessible and it was, there was no secure way to do it. So we usually have a great setup in the editing room. So if I have to watch it in my room, I can do that too. But at Pinewood uh, in uh, Atlanta, where we shot uh, the last two Avengers movies, we had a screening room and it was available to us. We'd just go in there straight down the hall from our editing room and it was all dialed <laughs> into our specs. And, you know, we we were there for so long, we needed it. I mean, the directors were in there every night for VFX reviews. I was in there every morning. I mean, it was pretty, it was being used around the clock. Yeah. Did you have like a, this is a weird question. Did you have like a morning ritual that you would like, you know, grab a cup of coffee or something like, all right, I'm going to go view dailies. <laughs> no, my morning ritual was a lot of times to be on set for blocking when at oh, call time wow. I would go to, you know, like when you're making a movie like this, your, your conversation was with the directors is ongoing. It never stops. And, and yeah. you have very little time with them, um, during production cause they're so busy. And, I found that just being available to them whenever I could was a huge benefit to both of us because, or all three of us, because I could show up for blocking at 6 a.m., watch them and kind of get an idea of how they were going to do the scene. That would help mm -hmm. me for when I was going to cut the scene. And I'd also hear what the actors were talking about and I'd be able to sort of like just be a fly on the wall to get a little information so they didn't have to repeat it to me. And yeah. uh, I also really, you know, they had a really, a lot of times there were really good breakfast burritos and if you get there <laughs> early enough, you can get, you get breakfast and, and uh and coffee and you can kind of wake up while you're uh you know w watching them block the scene and then i go back to edit and by then you know i'd either have some dailies already or i'd have the work from the previous day and mm -hmm. then around lunchtime dailies would be ready for me to view in the theater and i'd watch them and then go back to editing again and this would go on until the director showed up in my editing room around six or seven o'clock at night and we'd work uh, planning the next day's photography until about midnight. And this was a day, this wow. was a normal day. And this kind of went like that for 2017. <laughs> so we slept a lot when we were done. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you were mentioned earlier with Lisa kind of getting Joss Whedon's uh, mind a little bit. Were you kind of that way by the end of Endgame with, I mean, Winter Soldier, Civil War, Infinity War, Endgame? Like, did you kind of know what the Russos at that point kind of would want out of you? No, you know, I got to tell you something. This is going to sound crazy, but I don't know. Somehow Joe and Anthony and I and Matt are all, you know, somehow connected in the universe some way <laughs> because we really all pretty much default to, we all pretty much have the same taste in terms of how we cut and how we approach performance. So oh, there's okay. a base, there's a base to it that's already there. We have great yeah. conversations about how to improve the movie, but they're some of the most effortless people I've ever had to work with because we just wow. get each other's vibe. And I think that's why we stayed together for four movies. And, and I think it's why we were able to pull off um, Endgame and the way that, you know, just the fact that we had such a great shorthand meant that mm -hmm. we didn't have to do the work to figure it out. And, and I, I, you know, I adore those guys. I love them. Like they're my family. And I, um, I, uh, I just love working with them. It's, it's, it's effortless. Like I said, and I think, our crew, our whole crew, by the way, had been together, not only just, you know, Joe Anthony, Matt and I, but, but our whole editorial crew, there'll be Robin Badai, um, Hector Padilla, uh, Corey Gath, um, uh, Cassie Dixon, um, Adam Cole, all these people on our team, we'd all been together pretty much since Winter Soldier and nice, yeah. we knew each other really well. And so it, we didn't even, 
I mean, it was, it felt like making the same movie. We just kept, we just kept repeating the things that worked and, um, it, it was a great team. I mean, I, it was the best team in the business, as far as I'm concerned, they were absolutely, uh, amazing. And, and it was a great, great experience. So I hate to have you, you know, pick a favorite baby here, but in the, you know, the, all the MCU movies that you've done, do you have one that stands out in your mind where like winter soldier was like, you know, the spy thriller and then civil war, you had your, your superheroes going against each other. And then, you know, infinity war and, and Endgame and everything like that. So do you have one that stands out in your mind that like that one was the best one to edit? Oh my gosh. Well, I, it's almost impossible to do that as you know, cause I do feel mm-hmm. like it's like picking which is your favorite child. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, if, 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 if pressed, I've, I've got to say winter soldier was, was the, um, probably the most exciting and fun editing experience I had at Marvel, mostly because it was the first time I was working with Joan Anthony and everything was so new, but I loved everything they were doing so much. And yeah. I thought, you know, the work that Chris and Scarlett did in that movie and Mackie in that movie, it's so elevated. The acting is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Sebastian, my God, they're all amazing. Redford. I mean, everybody in that movie is just killing it. Uh, Kobe, yeah. everybody. It's like every performance of uh, Grillo. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, everybody's killing it in that movie. And, uh, the style is great. It's, it's a beautifully written script by Marcus and McFeely. Um, it's just a, it's a damn good movie. Even if you take it out of the Marvel cinematic universe, I think it's a really solid piece of work. The action cutting in it is some of the, the most, um, challenging stuff I've ever done. And I love the way it turned out. So I, I really have a special place in my heart for that one. And, um, um, I got to say that, you know, obviously Endgame is very emotional for me and, and I really yeah. love the way it turned out. Uh, there's things in it that are more stylistically close to the kind of films that I like to make. So there's moments in that movie that really feel like, you know, uh, that feel more like stylistically more like my cup of tea. And so, mm-hmm. uh, I have a v- great fondness for that. And, um, and I'll say, you know, there's the, the team effort in making, uh, the first captain America was, was also something I'll never forget. Just, you know, we had a incredible group of people that came together at the end to make that movie. Uh, it was a hard movie to finish cause we were running out of time at all, at all times, but working with Joe Johnston and, mm-hmm. and Chris Townsend and, and, uh, Shannon Mills, who's our incredible sound designer who I met on, uh, first Avenger. I mean, that was like, that was, those are some like really late nights, like on, with no mm-hmm. sleep for weeks to get that movie delivered. Uh-huh. And I, and it was an incredible time. Yeah. As somebody who Captain America is my favorite, uh, Marvel character pre all this MCU goodness. Like I think you guys 100% <laughs> uh, nailed him and everything. That knife fight in winter soldier is one of the best choreographed, like and edited sequences that I, I feel like in almost any MCU movie. Personally, it is, it's, it is it's beautiful. beautifully done. I mean, incredibly mm-hmm. done. Um, and the, and Evans is great in the scene and, and Sebastian's great in the scene in their parts. And they, sh- and they, they played a lot of that fight stuff. So, I mean, they really worked their ass off on that scene. And, uh, I also <laughs> think one of my favorite things too, is that, that crazy stuff with the minigun and him going through the back of the bus and the, yeah, it's just nuts. I mean, there's so much great stuff in that sequence. So in such inventive action by the Russos, I just, it's it's mind blowing and and then you know uh, to top it all off the movie ends with a Marvin Gaye song and a montage and Nick Fury burning <laughs> his eye patch I mean it's it's just there's nothing but good in that movie so 
I know me personally, if I edit a sequence and it's like, it's good, I'm like, oh, this is so like, I talk to myself a lot in editing. Do you like editing a lot of these movies? Are you like, this is amazing. Like, like, do you geek out at your own edits? Like I do for mine. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes. And also we all try to get together to do that. Cause the best thing is, I mean, Kevin's the best because when Joe and Anthony, first of all, I, if I think we hit something that's really special, Mm-hmm. I call, you know, the first thing I do is I, I usually I've got tears in my eyes and I call Joe and Anthony and I'm like, get over here. <laughs> we did it. We did it. We you guys did it. And we watch it. And I'm like, look how great this is. And then they're like, oh my God. And then the the test is to bring Kevin in because Kevin, oh. you know, if he, if he's there too, I know, then I know we did it because yeah. he's the last guy to give you the, the thumbs up unless it's a hundred percent. And every once in a while we'd hit something and get to show it to him and he'd be like, Oh my God. And that's, <laughs> that was always a great feeling. Cause that meant, you know, I, I was able to hit it for three, three of them. And, um, I, you know, there's the end game is filled with those moments where you're like, boy, this has got to work. And it, and it, and there's a few of them that didn't work to the last minute, but there's so many, you know, little moments in there that you're, you're not sure if they're going to, we weren't sure if they were going to land, the way they landed with us until we got to the theater on opening night. So whose idea was it to dramatize the five years later title card? And cause it's perfect. So who came up with, with that spacing of the five years later? That was Kevin. And, uh, nice. it was Kevin. And I kept saying to him, everybody's going to be thinking of SpongeBob when, the, the narrator went, <laughs> yeah. you know, five years later. And I was like, that's yeah. gonna, if that gets a laugh, we're done. He's like, no, 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 I won't. And I think we spent, I may have redone that timing about 20 times with him. Really? Uh, yeah. And, and I, I had a version that I liked and then he was like, no, we got to just, it's got to be slightly arrhythmic. We've got to do this. He, he tweaked that a few times with, with me. And, uh, I, I totally agree. It's amazingly perfect. He got it to where it should be, but that's why he's Kevin. He's, you know, he's got the <laughs> skills for that sort of thing. I love that thing. It's great. Now, how do you guys, uh, I was watching Civil War last week and something that stuck out to me in Civil War specifically is the location title cards and they're big yeah. and sans serif and fills the whole screen. So how did you guys come up with something like that? Was that a you or was that a Russo's come from that? Or, or where did that one come from? Uh, well, that w- that was my idea, but I stole it from uh, I stole it from James Gray, who stole it from uh, Lucino Visconti, and I, I can explain <laughs> all that. Basically, when we were making the Yards, which is the movie I made, edited in nineteen ninety eight ninety nine, we yeah. had a um, we had a chapters series of chapters in that movie that were that were defined by which character we were following, and so the name of the character would appear on screen in these large in a large font. And it would say, you know, like this would be Leo's section. So you'd see the word Leo over the screen and then the movie would mm. would continue with his POV. Then it would shift to another character and it would introduce with their character name. And James had that idea in the script phase. And, and I said, where did you get this? And he's like, oh, it's from, it's from this Lucino Visconti movie called Rocco and his brothers. And there's a, and I can't remember the year, but it's an Italian neorealist movie and it's a beautiful black and white film. Highly recommend it. It's a really moving film with Alain Delon. And it's, uh, it has those cards for the characters. And we thought this is a cool thing to do. We ended up cutting it from the yards because it didn't serve the story, uh, the way we wanted it. We had changed the film and no longer those chapters made sense. But Mm. I always thought the idea was a really cool one. Um, and when we were laying out civil war, we realized we need, we need to create, um, some structure with this movie because it's, 
it has so much, um, you know, narrative movement, character movement, and it's jumping POV so much. So I tried that idea from, from back then. And I was like, oh, this is cool. This helps. They feel like chapters more than they feel like locators. And that's what we Mm -hmm. needed. We needed to be able to say, this is the story of Lagos and what happened there in relation to our greater story. And I think those, the size of it said, this is a narrative event that we're marking, not just a, a, a filmic location. Yeah, I think one of the things that sticks out in my head when I think of Civil War, and I want to say that you just put Bronx on the screen, the first oh, Queens, cutting, yeah. Queens, yes. <laughs> yeah. We're cutting to Queens. That is uh, in the theater. That's what people popped. And that was yeah. like, that's where like, oh my God, this is Spider-Man. You're like, this is amazing. So I think that worked perfectly. And I have 100% stolen that for some of my personal projects. Oh yeah, no, it, it turned out great. And, and, and then, you know, um, I think it, it, we tried to do something similar in, um, infinity war and it didn't work. You know, it was like, it was too, it was like, we can't keep doing that. And we altered it for that. And oh, then we tried, really? we altered it even further for infinity war. Cause there's a few of those in those, I'm sorry, in for Endgame. there's a, there's mm-hmm. a few that, you know, of, of those locators, but we, we calmed them down and and we didn't want to turn them into to, to title cards. I mean, to uh, chapter headings. Yeah, because uh, I guess it's Infinity War, right? Where you just have space on the oh, label yeah, on the screen. That's a good one. That's a joke. That's that's from uh, the, the writers had that in the script. That's a great joke. That's another reason to do it is like, what? Yeah, yeah we had that. And yes. Seemed absolutely perfect. This is a weird like logistics question. How in the world do you find the font for those? I've always wondered this. <laughs> Well, those are Futura in Civil War, and I like Futura a lot uh, for that movie because it, you know, that movie had a um, it had a modern feel, and it it also, but it had, you know, I, I like the idea that it's um, there's a cleanliness and a graphic quality to that font that yeah. gives it a real power, and when you're doing something where you were looking, we're looking for graphics and compositional specifically graphics that create composition. You needed something that was that bold and striking. It couldn't have too much, you know, uh, it couldn't have too much commentary. It had to feel like the letters were graphic objects. And if you started to get into something that felt, you know, too ornate, it would fall apart. You'd think of again, again, as a location, as opposed to a chapter heading. So I think, you know, it was, it was chosen for that reason. And also, Mm -hmm. I, for some reason, and I don't know why this is, I've really, um, I'm sure there's a movie in the past that I saw it with this font, but there's something about Futura subtitles. It may have been something that James did in his first film that I just remembered, but there's something about Futura subtitles that have a really clean and amazing look. And then I, you know, and I, we want to always distinguish ourselves stylistically a bit from the Star Wars movies, which use that Helvetica, mm-hmm. you know, uh, subtitle, like, you know, for Greedo and Han Solo, that beautiful Helvetica yeah. they have in there. So it's, you mm-hmm. know, it's, those are certain things that, you know, you can geek out on later, but, um, you know, and again, for Infinity War, we, we adjusted it. And I think it's a, ser- a more of a serif font, a little bit more classic for the, for, you know, space and Titan and, and those, those cards. Yeah, speaking of subtitles, um, it actually just popped into my head. Um, when we're following Ronan at the beginning of Endgame, um, how did you guys make the decision to have the subtitles track with the subject who is saying them? Oh, well, that's, that came late in the game. And in fact, we were, we were working with trying to figure out a way. The scene was shot as a um, – actually, it's I think it's four shots, but they've been digitally stitched together to appear as one long take. And oh, wow. The, the, the way that we – wanted to do that was we also wanted to really make sure visually that you could look at the character who was speaking since it's basically two characters 
in a rainstorm. One of them is wearing a mask. It's almost impossible to, <laughs> you know, track. And also they, they're both speaking Japanese and they both have very similar voices. So yeah. it became a little difficult for the audience to, to know who was speaking, you know, precisely. And then we brought Renner in to do it in Japanese, um, you know, to dial in his ADR and he did an incredible job with the Japanese. And so all of a sudden the scene came to life, but we really wanted to make sure you were, your eye was going to the right place. So I said, Hey Joe, why don't we do it like a, and I, I think it was, um, I said, we could do it like a Tony Scott thing, like in a uh, uh, man on fire, which is this cool movie that was edited by uh, Christian, uh, Chris Wagner, uh, mm-hmm. with, um, Denzel Washington and Dakota Fanning. It, it has those subtitles that sort of pop pop out at you. And I thought, Hey, let's try one of those and see if that'll help us. And it did. And it felt like it gave them the scene a little bit more, um, of a cool feel and helped us identify who was speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why we chose to do that. So something I've always wondered, uh, with, with all of our font talk, um, with, with a, a company like Marvel behind it. So like choosing the Futura font and stuff like that, is that something that you just, as the editor, you just get to do, and then like, you know, I'll if somebody asks me to change it, I'll do it later. Or is that something that you're just like, okay, I need to like get you know approvals for use of this font and stuff like that in a in the movie? Well, no, I mean, I I do that initially with, like I said, you know, I have a methodology to doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the choices are always built in, and and if it's from an existing series, like if you look at the title cards in. The locator cards in Iron Man 3, you'll see that they're in the same font as the ones in Iron Man 1. So like if there's a okay. precedent, that's if there's something that's been set up in one of the franchises, I'm going to honor that. And if there hasn't been, then I'm going to make a decision based on what I think is best for the story stylistically. And then mm-hmm. what I always do is when we get to the end of the process, we take all of those locator and title cards and we give them to whomever's doing our – well, not usually the same vendor, but sometimes we'll have a main title design sequence – you know, there'll be someone designing a main title or end title. Mm-hmm. And uh, very often we will give those cards to vendors and ask them to beat them. So like, can you do a better version? What do you guys give us a few options and different ideas just to oh, give wow. somebody else a chance to throw in their idea. It costs money, mm-hmm. but it's also like a chance to check your thinking. Yeah, And almost always um, the original choices win with maybe a couple of little modifications, but it's always really helpful to test your idea mm-hmm. by doing that. Cause every once in a while, like the ones in Endgame, I think we, we ended up modifying them with the vendors to try to sort of de-emphasize the dates because we wanted people to remember the places more than the dates, but they also needed the dates. So, you know, yeah. it depends on your, the storytelling problem you're trying to solve. Okay. Wow. So my last question in the, uh, infinity war in game section of the podcast is how many times did you guys watch the snap at the end of Infinity War? What do you mean? Okay, so to go back what I was saying with earlier, you know, you get an edit that you just love at a moment. Uh, me personally, I'm like, that is amazing. I have to rewatch that. So how, oh. like, do you do that where you're like, okay, I'm going to watch it one more time today, like before I leave? Like, <laughs> Well, you know, I, that didn't exist in the rhythm or the form that it exists in the final movie until very, very, very late because really, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean the edit did, but Mm -hmm. for, for the actual rhythm of it and the way the sound works, if you're talking about Thanos snapping and then we go into the, into the, uh, that sort of thing with Gamora. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really cool. I mean, we changed a lot of stuff in the animation with Thanos during that, 
you know, wow, okay. Roland did it in mocap and it was amazing. Mm -hmm. And I, and I laid out the rhythm so that the, the, the point at which he snaps is always exactly the same. There's never not a frame difference in terms of from the time he says his last line until he snaps. That's mm -hmm. always exactly as it is. But what's going on in, in the visuals, how much light comes around the hand um, after he snaps, all that stuff, that changed significantly because I had a really great rhythm that I liked that we mm -hmm. got used to. And then as the visual effects came in, it started to change. I'm like, we can't alter the rhythm, even though you know you want to change the visuals. We have to maintain this because there's a musicality to what's going on. So those shots are hard to like appreciate the the precision of the transition until you get to the dub stage and you have the final visual effect in there and that happens sometimes very late but fortunately you know we have great sound team great visual effects artists yeah. and you can look at those shots and say hey guys you got to just give me i need two more frames of those fingers before it goes to white or it's not going to work and the audience mm -hmm. isn't going to quite know what's going on so those moments are heavily uh heavily directed and um i'd love to watch them back and go oh my god i'll tell you what i did watch back a lot is Matt cut the scene where Drax says it's like a uh it's like a pirate had a baby with an angel <laughs> that whole thing um when he sees uh when he sees Thor and Thor, Quill's yeah. like you know you know look at his arms that whole thing I mean Matt cut that I think uh really early on or something it was really early in the schedule it might have been like the first month we were shooting and I was mm -hmm. I remember watching his cut of that and I just was crying I was laughing so hard and I don't think he changed this <laughs> we didn't change a single thing from his first cut it was so damn good and it's really funny <laughs> I mean, just everybody's reactions there and, and, um, you know, Quill just, you know, feeling like he's gained some weight. I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah. So you bring up a really good point actually on that being that you have, like you mentioned earlier, you have the AEs cutting the dailies and everything or sorting through the dailies for you and everything. Um, does that mean that you don't normally see like the, the like the outtakes cuts or anything like that? You only see oh, like no, no, the no, ones no. No, no, I watch everything. We, what we oh, don't okay. watch, oh, I, I, I don't watch the stuff where the actors aren't in front of the lens. I mean, sometimes the mm -hmm. camera will will roll even after the takes over, and mm -hmm. everybody's just setting up for the next take. Yeah, and, gotcha. and they're sort of talking and stuff. I have that stuff excised unless the unless the cast is on screen. So I watch everything that they shoot. Uh, Joe and Anthony don't shoot a ton of takes, but they shoot a lot of series, and they, and they and they ask for adjustments during the takes, which is why you have to watch everything. Got you. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Was there was there any of the outtakes that you were like you're like man like if this if he didn't break like I would have used this <laughs> like like does that happen often or are especially at the end game phase are you at the point where it's like these guys are so good at what they do that it's just like most of the takes are good Oh no, I mean well I mean they goof around a lot but they're professionals. I mean they nail it mm -hmm. when they need to nail it and and the more emotional stuff they're usually in a place where they don't break up but there's a lot of goofy stuff and and Robert will make jokes right after doing something heartfelt and amazing. I mean he's just always joking around and there's mm -hmm. there's tons of of crazy outtakes that, that I went on a gag reel that probably will never see the light of day but <laughs> the one they put out is pretty good although they put oh, yeah. some weird music on it but it's the one they put out is pretty good. There's some funny stuff in there. Uh, but you know they it it's it's really um, Joe and Anthony run such a relaxed set that people don't really feel you know tense when the camera's rolling, and that's why they mm -hmm. able they're able to get such good performances because the actors don't tense up. They're they're really relaxed, and they and they're able to really explore, and they they know they're in a safe place. So I love seeing dailies where the actors are loose because, especially people like you know Chris Pratt and Chris Hemsworth going at it in Infinity War is one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen, and and that is all because you know you got 
Chris Pratt is one of the great improv artists of all time, being able to be oh, yeah. loose enough to, you know, really, really run with those jokes. He's great. <laughs> so as we kind of wind down, uh, has there been anything really not even necessarily restricted to MCU? Um, are there any, when you look back on the movies that you have done so far, are there any like highlights other than like the obvious you'd, like you said, going to the in-game premiere and stuff like that. Are there any highlights that come to mind um, through your editing career? Oh, highlights. <laughs> wow. That's a tough one. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it's hard to say. I mean, look, the, any, every, anybody that's lucky enough to be able to work in the film business is, mm -hmm. um, you know, or unlucky enough, depends on your perspective. I mean, I <laughs> love it. I love making movies. I always have. It's really fun for me. I mm -hmm. can't imagine doing anything else. And I've been so fortunate and I've gotten to work with literally the best actors on earth and the best directors on earth. And I, I, I can't, I mean, I can't even begin to tell you all the amazing, you know, moments that I can remember. And mm -hmm. uh, it's just that, uh, I just feel so fortunate and so grateful that I've been able to do it. Um, but I, I will say that like, you know, being walking into a, to the premiere of the yards at Cannes, uh, when we were in competition, you know, in that festival, um, was one of the most amazing moments, you know, it, just the, the feeling of being part of something, that was global and, and a movie that was, you know, the people were embracing and after a lot of hard work and I, we didn't even know if the movie was ever going to get finished. And then here we were with, you know, a standing ovation, uh, at this famous French film festival is something out of a dream. That was amazing. And then certainly like every day on a Marvel set is kind of like you do, you get, you, I think you get used to it after a bit, but mm. it, it, every once in a while, something will happen where you're like, this is crazy. I'm standing here, <laughs> you know, and oh, yeah. every single, I mean, the day that everybody came down to do the, there's a shot in the, by the lake, mm -hmm. um, at, you know, at the end of end game with the entire cast standing yeah. on a dock and you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, I was standing with the directors as that cast came out of their makeup holding area mm -hmm. and they started walking down to come to the edge of that lake. And it was like, Oh, Oh, that's yeah, it's Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, oh, it's uh, oh, there's uh, Michael Douglas. Uh, oh, there's Chris Evans. Uh, oh, it's Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, it like it didn't stop. It was like the craziest Oscar night <laughs> fantasy you've ever seen. And they just kept coming, and they were all just having a great time. And I'm like, oh, oh you know, I mean, I've never seen like you're like, oh, it's Chris Pratt talking to Michael Douglas. I've never seen that before. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> weird. Um, I, I was I was completely starstruck. I was like, I don't even know. Um, I don't even know what to tell you. Uh, it was it is, was awesome. Is it true? A lot of them were told that they're going to film a wedding on the way up there. Yeah, and I think when they got to wardrobe, they knew what was going on. And yeah, by the they time they were. Out done yeah by the time they were done it they were they were pretty clear on it because robert mm -hmm. wasn't there and nobody was getting married and you know oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were were you guys all emotional filming that one because that one being like like you said way at the beginning of this where it's like you're you're kind of wrapping up everything in a very poetic sense well i'll tell you there, there were two times when i really lost it um the one of them was uh the we shot a shot of chris evans and it's um it's in the movie it's when he sees he kind of nods to black panther after panthers come out of the portal yeah and it's like we shot that piece on chris and i was just like 
I'm going to cry right now. Cause that was like, <laughs> it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever, I Christian just did something that was just so unbelievable, vulnerable and heartfelt and true. It was just a beautiful piece of film. And that got me. And the other thing that got me was Downey, you know, Downey doing his last line, mm -hmm. um, was really hard to watch. Cause it was so, he was in a place that was super special. And, um, I will not forget that. Cause he was, he was in a really interesting place and, and it took him a while to get there. And when he, and when he did it, it was, you could feel that there wasn't a lot of question about what we were going to use because <laughs> mm -hmm. it was amazing. And we were all, it, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, the set was completely silent because it was like a moment had happened and we were yeah. filming it, you know, those are the moments I remember, I think from Endgame. And then, you know, there's, I can't even tell you the rest of the, you know, there's so many others from David Parks. <laughs> I've just been so lucky to be able to be a part of that. Well, thank you so much, Jeff, for coming on today. It was a really special episode that I absolutely adored. Thank you guys so much for listening. Remember, you should go buy Avengers Endgame. And if you haven't, I don't know what you're doing. The movie's amazing, but also buy all the Captain America movies and everything like that. They're all really good times. Remember, you can listen to the Just Editor podcast anywhere podcasts are available. That's YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, anything give us a subscribe give us a like tell your friends it would really help us out thank you guys so much for tuning in and i will see you in the edit bay